Hello and welcome to the Movie Podcast. My name is Daniel. I'll be one of your hosts this week. Alongside me, via the interwebs, I've got Shabazz. Hey, hey, hey. And we have Anthony. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm not too sure why I'm doing a bit of an accent there, but this you? is the movie podcast. I was a little bit. Oh. Uh, this is the movie podcast. You can catch a brand new episode every single Monday across all your favorite podcast platforms. If you want to write in and be part of the show, now this is important. If you want to be part of the show, send us your comments, suggestions, and corrections. Head over to thistimewith.com slash talk, and you can be part of the show and talk with us. Uh, how are you guys doing this week? I'm doing well. I actually got a new mic. That's probably why oh. you guys clearly. <laughs> I was uh, peer pressured into buying a mic because I a was little told bit. if you don't, you're off the podcast. So I had to go and find a mic, and here I am. I'm still part of the podcast. How we're do you s- feel? We're secretly holding mic. auditions for new hosts <laughs> uh, behind your back through the interweb. It was who? Who were the uh, the you know your final two? Uh, uh, Timothy Chalamet, for and, sure. And Val Kilmer. Yeah. And Val Kilmer. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah both of them. Um, <laughs> we both were like, come on, like, like, let's just fire Anthony and get these two guys. They're so willing to do this. Yeah. And they both had great mics as well, great which I was really mics. surprised at. Yeah. Very fantastic mics. Actually, I think Timothy didn't even have a mic, and he did it all via sign language. And we were like, this is still great. <laughs> this, this is, is great. still great. We're we great. prefer this over Anthony. <laughs> How you doing, Che? Uh, I'm I'm doing good, man. Um, I, I don't know if the week actually has gone by. I, I believe you because you're telling me, right? But um, I don't know what day it is. I don't know what week it is. Uh, I, I know it's still 2020 because it's been an awful year. But that's all. Yes, I know. right. I couldn't agree more. Uh, like I said, this is the movie podcast. This week, our topic of the show. We are so excited to say that. Director Kevin Lima is joining us on the show this week. So if you don't know who Kevin Lima is, let me drop some facts on you right now. This is the guy behind a Goofy movie, which just celebrated its 25th anniversary. This is one of the directors behind Tarzan and the movie Enchanted and 102 Dalmatians and Eloise and like just being part of so many of those amazing 90s era Disney films. We are so happy to have him on the show this week. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is wicked. Yeah, so stay tuned. So, so stay tuned later in the show for that conversation because you won't want to miss it. Until then, gentlemen, shall we get into the news? Let's try. Let's try it. <laughs> I love how we, we did it so slow as well, too. It was Anthony, just a- I like how yours is like a sonar from a submarine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was going for the uh, Das Boot. <laughs> the Das Boot edition. So yeah. let's get into the news this week. The Batman moves back amid Warner Brothers date shuffle. This is coming from Pamela McClintock and Aaron Couch over at The Hollywood Reporter. So Warner Brothers is shifting a number of its release dates, including Matt Reeves' The Batman, due to the ongoing impact of the coronavirus pandemic. The Batman, starring Robert Panson as the Cape Crusader, has been set to hit the big screen June 25th, 2021. It will now ride into theaters on October 1st, 2021. Uh, so luckily, not too big of an impact yet. Uh, Warner Brothers' tentpole that isn't budging from its July 17th date is this summer's Tenet from Christopher Nolan. As the studio is sticking uh, to its original release date, uh, the studio is also... Uh, as we said a few weeks ago, Wonder Woman 1984 is coming out in August. Uh, 
the Sopranos prequel, which is called The Many Saints of Newark, um, which is being moved from September 25th to March 12th, 2021. So that's pretty, a big delay there. King Richard, which is the uh, biopic starring Will Smith as Richard Williams, uh, is moving uh, a full year from November 25th to November 19th, 21. Uh, so right into the heart of the award seasons for, I guess, next year. The Elvis film that was supposed to come out October 1st, 2021 is now coming out to November 5th, 2021. So again, not too big of a push there. The weird ones here, um, a pair of 2022 DC films are also being impacted. The flash is moving up one month from July 1st, 2022 to June 3rd, 2022 while Shazam two is being delayed from April 1st, 2022 to November 4th. Uh, What's surprising you here, guys? Any surprises here? There's the literally, I need a calculator to uh, <laughs> remember all these numbers. All those dates years. and numbers? Oh my gosh. Just release the movie. Stop pushing them back. <laughs> but they like, have to shoot them 20- first, man. Oh, yeah. Some of these, yes. But like 2021 is going to be like every single movie in the next Ever. 10 years going to be in one year. We're going to be at the it's, theater every day. Yeah, it feels like Pretty it. Much. It feels like it. Um, but yeah, Shay was right. Like, the Flash being the biggest one. Um, yeah. what's, uh, what's upsetting about The Flash, and we were kind of talking about this earlier this week, The Flash movie with Ezra Miller was announced in 2014. And <laughs> now the release date is... Thompson eight, saw it eight years. Eight years later. Like, that is... But it's being pushed up, which is what's so weird about it. Like, they, they haven't anything solid on this movie, but they're like, they're so confident. They're like, we can release it a month early. I, I still can't believe that this movie is being made with Ezra Miller. Like when you think about eight years, if you let's if you put that in comparison, let's say again to the MCU, eight years from two thousand eight, like it's a twenty sixteen, like that's an entire Marvel universe worth of movies. Yeah. If you look at twenty fourteen until twenty twenty two, that's like two or three phases of the MCU. It's like that's just insane to think that. <laughs> of how how much they're pushing this movie, how much just they're not prepared for this movie. It, really, they aren't, yeah. And um, I, was ask, I was actually asking you guys, how are they even going to film a lot of these movies? Like, I can't, I can't see, like, especially in L.A., where a lot of movies are filmed because they have, the, you know, the backlot studios and all that. Like, how can they make a movie without, with, let's say, less than 50 people? If that was, if that's kind of like the, the requirement to go through um, the next couple of months. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Honestly, like you may have, they may have a lot of rules implemented on sets going forward in terms of maybe how many people could be there, maybe limited skeleton crew who are just there to get the shot, get whatever's needed, and you may not have all the people who are on set that maybe don't need to be there. Um, I'm just surprised again, like 2022 for the Flash, eight years after this movie was being announced. Do you guys think this movie still happens with Ezra Miller? No, mm, I don't think so. But it was it was Ezra Miller and what Grant Morrison writing the script for this. That's film? that's what Ezra Miller was said he was going to do. He was going to write the script, but we don't know if Warner Brothers accepted his script. I don't even think this movie really has a director anymore because I think the director has left since. Um, like we, they've, this movie's had a few directors that have kind of come and gone. I think I think this movie's not going to be made with no. Ezra Miller. Yeah, because jo- so. so in 2018, John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, who directed Game Night, signed on. 
And then in July 2019, so over a year later, they left. Um, Andy, um, who? Oh, sorry, who did the it the it's chapter one, chapter two? Andy um, Muschietti, yeah, uh, said that they were going to direct. Um, but that's kind of the last we heard about it was last year. So we don't know. We don't have any confirmation of anything. And now it's 2022. Plus, I mean, Luckily, there's that video that came out of Ezra Miller where he was choking that lady. So yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's going to have some ramifications to when the movie actually is. Yeah, that was a out. weird one. That was a very strange he one. should have been choking her faster. Uh, no, God. no. More like, you oh, know, okay. he did that. And this is kind of like, hey, listen. The, the flash, flash don't doesn't choke, doesn't choke nobody. So please <laughs> stop. Um, luckily, luckily the the one the movie I care about the most on this list, Batman, isn't moving too far. It's only a few months. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tenet, again, it's sticking to its guns for July. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see was, what happens. I was reading an article saying AMC won't open their th- theaters until the tenant comes out. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I don't. Let's think see what happens. Bring people back to the theaters. But that's think- the thing, though, man. Like, there if there's a big movie in theaters, people will I think will go if they open. So, like, I'm just curious to see if if that movie is going to be the one to really bring people in, or if people are going to be too scared to go to the theater. Guess we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Yeah. Uh, Next up on the news this week, uh, kind of related to people staying at home, Netflix adds nearly 16 million subscribers amid virus shutdown. This is coming from Natalie Jarvie of The Hollywood Reporter. People watching more entertain- uh, entertainment programming while sheltered at home propelled Netflix to a strong first three months of 2020. The company announced on Tuesday, the streaming giant added 15.8 million subscribers during the first quarter of the year a period of record growth that has rocketed its global base nearly 183 million subscribers netflix has expe- had expected just 7 million subscribers during this period but the company forecast that the growth before the full effects of the pandemic had been felt globally my god 16 million new subscribers that's unreal yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, right now with everybody being at home, like I think I've subscribed to things that I never had before because the fact that I'm home, so might as well try these things out, right? Right, of course. And like we've saw, we spoke uh, last week or the week before about how Disney Plus has hit 50 million people, five yeah. zero. Um, so it makes sense that Netflix is doing really well as well too. Obviously, we there's been so many shows that people have been talking about, especially Tiger King being one of them. Um, Netflix, 183 million subscribers now, so that's that's pretty that's pretty <laughs> big. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking going forward, this may be the normal for where movies are going to go, even I, more so. Yeah, I think with this subscriber base that they've just added, they could pay for Martin Scorsese's next film. <laughs> yeah probably probably yeah, i think he his 500 million uh thriller is gonna be made by netflix <laughs> all right well we'll have to see we'll have to see obviously netflix uh netflix said as well too that they have enough content to get through the pandemic enough new content so we'll see what they Man, keep, keep adding keep hopefully it's quality. every day from them there's i i hate show. there's a new show there's a, i'm like wow you guys are like just <laughs> shooting them out I just wish that the emails I would get to, like, they would send me emails, like, about, like, things I'm already watching all the time. Like, hey, don't forget to finish The Office. I'm like, I've been watching The Office the last, like, seven years beginning to end. So you don't have to keep telling me to watch it. Yeah. 
Um, next story on the list and our final news story of this week, Universal snags the Lego franchise from Warner Brothers in a five-year exclusive deal. This is coming from Vinny Mancuso of Collider. The billion-dollar-plus Lego franchise just built itself a bridge out of Warner Brothers and over to Universal. Deadline reports that a deal led by Universal's Donna Langley and Lego Group's uh, Jill Wolfert ensured five years of theatrically released Lego feature films from Universal. Probably the most intriguing tidbit of the deal is the fact that Universal can now Legofy its existing IP the way Warner Brothers did with Batman. I'm relatively sure a Lego Fast, Fast and the Furious film would cure most ailments plaguing the world. Uh, thanks for that, Vinny. Uh, what do you guys think of this? Again, we, we spoke about this um, a couple Before, months yeah. ago that this was pending. This could be, this could be something that's happening. Now it's official. Yeah, it's it's actually nuts because, I mean, I've always associated Lego with Warner Brothers. So for them to lose such a huge franchise is absolutely shocking. I wonder if after the five years they go back to Warner Brothers or maybe they have such a good time at Universal. Um, I, I, I Universal to me doesn't have the strongest IPs to Legofy. Like I think of DC with Warner Brothers, and I think, oh yeah, that's a great marriage, right? Right, um, right, and. I'm not big on Fast and the Furious, so for them to Legofy it, it it would be funny for a bit, but I don't think in long term. We already have Jurassic Park as a Lego branded franchise, so I'm curious as to what really they could add. What Jaws, ET, all these things from the early '80s and '90s. Yeah, and all the on the Monster movies. Who knows for Mario? Well, well, yeah, I guess that's still like. A Nintendo-owned property, but since it's seen in the Universal family now, maybe? Who knows? Like, I, I'm not too sure what... Monsters. Monster movies, right? Universal yeah. is huge on the monster stuff. You know, which, they could do the Lego has Man before, Lego, right? Which Lego has done before, so... <laughs> right, right. Again, nothing too new. Maybe James Bond, because he's Universal now? So I think I think they could have a lot of fun with it. I'm just curious, because Lego Batman was a really successful uh, like movie and... Uh, property like still and I guess Warner Brothers still owns like the video game rights and all that kind of stuff too the Lego Batman movie made 312 million on an 80 million dollar budget so made it made a really well made a lot of money um, but yeah who knows I'm curious what, to see what this means going forward for the Lego movies what if they do 50 shades oh Lego. god <laughs> in Lego <laughs> <laughs> I mean Come it's on. Definitely wouldn't want to watch that Fifty sure. Shades Lego Edition. Fifty Shades of Bricks, you know? Ooh, good name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, who knows when this is going to start, too, because theatrically released Lego, they made a point to say that in the press release. Who knows? Uh, some new dates uh, before we get out to what's out this week. Lovebird. So this was supposed to release in April in theaters is now coming to Netflix on May 22nd. Uh, HBO Max is launching on May 27th uh, for U.S. subscribers. We're not too sure what's happening in Canada yet for that content. Uh, Sony started to shuffle its release schedule around. So Venom, let there be carnage. Uh, first of all, what do you guys think of that name? Uh, not... <laughs> I'm not good. I, I I'm not. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, I, like I said, I think what, what were we discussing? Venom maximum, maximum carnage. carnage. Yeah, yeah. That'd that would be a be much. Yeah, I'm not carnage is stupid. Yeah, like I don't like. I'm not a big fan of movies that have like 
long like sentences to them like let there be carnage like okay like relax no yeah Maximum i can't see carnage. myself saying that did you go watch yeah. venom let there be carnage no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah this is june 25th 2021 this is kind of taking the area that the batman was supposed to come out in so smart move for them kind of moving into that release dates um and then tom holland spider-man 3 whatever it's going to be home sick stay at home um Corona edition <laughs> home invasion home word bound whatever they call it it's coming out now on november 5th 2021 so it's getting a push out of the july spot into november because of that marvel studios again had to shuffle its phase four releases so if you remember back in 2017 or 2016 when they made the deal to have spider-man in the mcu or actually did that in 2015 they had to shake up their phase three schedule because of the spider-man movie now they are doing it again so Stay in, stay with me here. There's a bunch of dates I'm going to throw at you. Um, because these are so far off, we didn't really remember what the release dates were originally, so just stick with me when I go through this, okay? Marvel Studios has four films currently releasing in a span of 147 days in 2022. Firstly, Thor, Love and Thunder, is releasing on February 11th. Then, 42 days later... Doctor Strange 2 is opening up on March 25th. Then another 42 days later, Black Panther 2 is opening up on May 6th. Then 63 days later, Captain Marvel 2 is opening up on July 8th. Oh my god. 2022 is belonging, the, at least the first half is belonging to Marvel. Yeah, I, I, but I also wonder, like, is this really going to stick? I mean, right now, all these dates are so arbitrary. We have no idea what's really going to be happening. Um, and I mean, Marvel might be cannibalizing their own profits. So would it make more sense for them to stretch it out or move things further on down the road? Who knows? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's interesting. I guess that 42 days is like they know exactly. They, they're probably looking at their numbers. They're probably moneyballing it right now saying, like, okay, we got 42 days. We're going to get in there, make all of our money before we get the next big movie to come out. So yeah. it's just, uh, they're playing it very close to one another right now. And very, very it's, close. It's, it's a bold move, Cotton, but we'll see if it pays off for them. Mm-hmm. Do, do they even have the money to make all these movies at the same oh, time, my, too? Because dude, so much money. money. But like, do they have money just to like dish out right away? Because you're looking at 42 days stretch from each film. And each film is gonna about take about two hundred million to make, plus the people who make these films and all the people who like ha- make it happen. Like, do they not reuse some of these people for other things? Uh, I don't know. Like, I- I'm just trying to think. Like, that's a that's a they're so it's, close to one another. It's hard to they like, are yeah believe this is actually gonna happen. But I mean, like we've seen years with four Marvel movies before. Again, going back to 2017, we had, you know, Guardians, Spider Man, or Thor. I guess that was just three. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of movies in one year. But again, if we look at the total box office gross for the MCU, it's 22 or 23 billion dollars. So you know, and that's not even including merchandise or anything like that. So I think Disney's really banking on them because they know they bring in the the money, right? Mm. Uh, out this week we got prop culture speaking of disney so this is the series that's all about the different props in disney films um so that's going to be coming out on friday you'll be able to start streaming the episodes then yeah i'm excited for this one um what do you guys been watching this week 
So we'll start with Anthony. Um, I'm still watching Westworld. So um, continuing with the Westworld uh, season three. I watched McMillions, which is a documentary on HBO about the uh, Monopoly scandal from 1989 to 2000. Uh, So if you guys ever played Monopoly during that time. um, At McDonald's. At McDonald's, you you weren't winning because it was all uh, rigged. It was a really, (laughs) really good documentary. How Um, many episodes is it, Anthony? I think it's, I want to say six six or seven they're um hour-long episodes they died i tried getting everything i tried getting into the first episode and then i found it was just a lot it was a little dull for me but i know you've been really recommending it so i'm hopefully going to go back and revisit it yeah the first episode is pretty slow uh but once you get into like the the whole scheme of it and how many people are affected and how the scheme actually played out over how many years and all the all the different like mafias and and FBI agents and all that. It was actually really, really good. Awesome. Um, I watched The Last Dance, which is, I know we got, we, we all watched it this week. It's the, the Jordan uh, documentary on Netflix. I watched Atlanta's Missing and Murdered, The Lost Children. And this was, this is the story about the, the, the children that were murdered in Atlanta in the early 80s. Um, really, really good documentary. And I watched Dragged Across Concrete, which is the movie uh, by S. Craig Zaylor. It stars Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn. They play two cops who are uh, suspended from the forest and have to kind of dive into the criminal world to get their proper compensation type of thing. Um, really, really good. I, I would give it like a seven. Um, it reminds me of a Cronenberg film. So there's a lot of dialogue. And then it dives into um, like ultra violent scenes. Oh wow! This and, came out last year, right? Yeah, it came out in 2018. It's it's Craig S. Uh, S. Craig Zaylor. If you guys don't know, he's the director of uh, Bone Tomahawk. Um, yeah, and yeah, the Cell Brawl, Brawl, Cell Block Cell Block 99. Yeah. So he has a he's like a he's a a writer and a director. So um, interesting characters. Like David Cronenberg, he has these interesting scenes in the film, which like you you wonder like this is this can't be real. Kind of reminded me of um, a history of violence. Oh, and then wow. it goes into like this deep, like violent sequences with certain characters, and like oh my gosh, I did not expect this to happen. So just like Bone Tomahawk had the same type of scenario. If you guys ever watched it, uh, I haven't. Yeah, I, I, want really to, I want to. It was on a, it's on Amazon Prime if you have Amazon Prime or you could buy it on iTunes for I think 6.99. It's on sale. And then I also watched Blade Runner 2049. I thought I'd dive back into the um, the Blade Runner storyline cuz I watched it once and it's been about I want to say like a year since the last time I watched it. This is the second time I understood it a lot better. Um, there's still little things that I wish there was more of. Um but yeah, like it's such a great film. Um, visually, I think the movie, cinematically, in terms of the lighting, the color palette, um, the camera angles, phenomenal. They Gorgeous got, movie. Um, um, what's his name? Won it? Won an Academy for Roger Deakins. Yeah, Mr. Deakins won yeah. for this film because it was fantastic, and you can actually see a lot of the things that he used in this movie in 1917. 
which is a lot of shadows, a lot of like lights, just natural lighting to um, set up the set. But yeah, that's that's what I've been watching this week. Excellent. Um, I could go next. So we'll, we'll save uh, we'll save Shay for last. Save the best for last. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, so this week I've been continuing my watch of Harley Quinn. So this is of course the DC Universe television animated show. Absolutely phenomenal and such a hilarious show. Again, we can't recommend it enough. So definitely check it out where you can. It's playing on Adult Swim here in Canada, or if you uh, subscribe to Stacked on Amazon Prime. Uh, you'll be able to watch it there. Absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I watched Waco, which is a mini series that came out a couple years ago. Uh, Michael Shannon is in it. Uh, Taylor Kitsch. Yes. That's his name, right? Taylor yeah. Kitsch is in it. Uh, we have a uh, John Luguziamo is in it. So basically this is about like, like a, a religious cults in Waco, Texas. And you'll, you probably are from maybe familiar with the story to uh, take place in 1993. And we're just kind of seeing exactly what went down during that standoff and that kind of what was led to be a hostage situation. And then we kind of see what really was going on. Uh, it just came to Netflix this week and I saw it was trending worldwide. So I was like, yeah, I'll give it a watch. And I, I enjoyed it. I just wish there was a bit more Michael Shannon in it. Uh, like Anthony, watched The Last Dance. So I'm really looking forward to the next two episodes, which are coming out this week. Um, iTunes was having a pretty great sale on older TV shows. So I picked up in HD this time, the justice league TV series by Bruce Tim, uh, just because I own them already in iTunes, but they were a standard definition copy. So I wanted to upgrade. Uh, I watched Tarzan. So obviously because we have Kevin Lima on the show this week, I wanted to watch a little bit more of his filmography and Tarzan was one of my favorites growing up. Uh, Shay and I watched extraction on Netflix. Shay, what did you think of extraction? So, um, Great action sequences. You can definitely tell directed by a stunt choreographer. Um, but overall, I, I've i forgotten most of the film, I would say. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I think the first half of the film is a lot stronger. I'm like, well, this is some really great action. Bring you set piece to set piece. And then the second half of the movie just kind of really started to fall off for me. And it, I was just like, uh, I don't really f- follow what's going on, but I also really don't care what's going on. Yeah, it's right around when they introduce David Harbour's character, who's in the movie for maybe like five minutes. Um, the the movie just takes such a sudden halt, and then it's almost a blink and you miss plot change. That I was like, wait, 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 hold on, what's going on here? Like, did, did I miss something? Did David Harbour say something that I did miss? <laughs> yeah. So it just and it just it just kind of ends, and you're like, oh, okay, that that's that. Yeah. So if you're a fan of action i would say definitely check it out on netflix like i mean if you have netflix it's there just watch it yeah um but it's i don't think it'll be too memorable other than like some cool action sequences yeah. would you give it a stream it, Get <laughs> that's, it? The only, that's the only thing we can give it's it. the only no, thing we, we can give you it. could give it something else can nah, we give nah. it a don't stream it i'd, I'd okay. say you don't have to stream it right away you can no. stream it whenever you feel like yeah. <laughs> it's not an instant okay. stream. It's a delayed stream, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a, a buffering. Stream. <laughs> it's a buffering stream. Uh, I've also been continuing my also weekly watches. So Brooklyn Nine-Nine wrapped up this week, which was really funny. And uh, Dark Side of the Ring, which was a really great episode this week as well, too. I know you watched it as well, Anthony, right? Brooklyn. Oh, uh, Dark Side of the Ring. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, yes. I thought this week's episode was really good. They actually, um, the, both the directors were on... Um, Instagram live yesterday and they're answering a bunch of questions 
um, about wrestlers and other stories that they want to dive into. Uh, one of the biggest ones they want to talk about is China. So the fe- you know China, the female character, um, right. her life in the wrestling world and how she dealt with it. Um, yeah, it's. I think every story gets better and better. Um, I don't know how many other stories that they're uh, they can they have up their sleeve, but the production value is really good. Um, interesting topics. They have like these wrestlers that are, you know, older now, and they they're telling their stories. Um, really, really good series to watch. Yeah, definitely. And like as somebody who I didn't really watch wrestling growing up it's still it's still such a well-made show that even though it's not really a topic i'm super into it's still engaging me and just it's just telling a really great story so that's what i really appreciate about it um similarly to the next thing i watched which was the beastie boy story which is a doc directed by spike jones on apple tv plus uh wasn't really a big beastie boys fan ever uh there's just a couple songs that i knew of them probably sabotage is the one that i've known the most um what was interesting about this doc is that it's told almost like a live show it's literally just them on stage talking about their life and it kind of cuts the footage as they're talking because they're like in this big venue with people um i thought it was an interesting way of doing a documentary i kind of wish it had a little bit more production value to it i guess because i'm used to watching dark side of the ring so just kind of seeing these guys talk on stage um was different but like they had a lot of cool footage and they kind of were talking a lot about music and the hip-hop scene in the 80s and 90s which i which i'm a really big fan of so it was cool seeing that and then last night after that i watched bad education which actually premiered at tiff last year stars hugh jackman allison janney um ray romano is in it and now it's an hbo film uh it was interesting it's basically about a embezzlement that was happening uh at a school that's kind of very focused on getting kids into university and how they embezzled something like 11 million dollars to themselves like to pay for their homes and vacations and stuff it's uh it was a very interesting watch to see that oh wow that's crazy yeah and shay finish this off yeah um i watched spider-man 2 because it was on tv so i said why not um my brother had never seen the Iron Giant, so it's. I think a lot of the things that I watched this week were very late '90s, early 2000s kind of things. So yeah, Iron Giant, great film, love it. It looks great in 4K and HD, basically. Uh, watched The Last Dance because that was, you know, it's, it's it's wicked. I loved Michael Jordan growing up. Yep. Harley Quinn. Uh, watched Tarzan. Watched Enchanted. Watched This Is the End. My mom really wanted to watch Interstellar, so we, we watched that. <laughs> so tell us, this is your fourth watch, you said, this fourth year? Fourth watch this year, this movie. And it was a movie that when we first saw it, Daniel, I remember I got off the plane, and what, an hour and a half later, I was in the theater with you, you watching this movie. Yeah, and it was a late movie, too. I think it was like a 10.30 watch. Yeah, and I, and I just got back from LA, so I was like three hours ahead or behind. I, my mind was messed up. Yeah. So, um I didn't enjoy it that much my first watch, but as this movie has been at home release, every so often I keep going back to it, and I'm like, my God, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, it's in Easily. that top 10, yeah. Uh, Extraction, as like we, we discussed. I watched Deep Impact last night. My mom also wanted to watch something that was very um, uh, disaster and I haven't seen Deep Impact <laughs> since probably <laughs> around the time that it came out. Wow. So, uh I remember I used to watch it a lot as a kid and I was watching it last night. I'm like, man, this movie has so many heavy moments that really I shouldn't have been watching as a kid. And I remember it was around the time of uh, 
um, Armageddon as well. So there's, you know, these two movies came out at the same time. We had Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I also watched an episode of Middleditch and Schwartz, which is the Thomas Middleditch and uh, Ben Schwartz comedy hour that they kind of have on Netflix. They have a couple episodes up there. And it's like they just do improv. And I thought, was, I thought the first episode was, was pretty decent. Um, I really like Ben Schwartz. I think he's really funny. He was the voice yeah. of Sonic this year as well. And you'll recognize him from uh, Parks and Recreation if you ever watch that. So uh, I'm definitely going to maybe go back to a couple more episodes and kind of give it another watch. Awesome. So that's what we've been watching this week. And now it is time to get into our topic of the show with our very special guest, Kevin Lima. Welcome back to the Movie Podcast. We are super excited to introduce you to our special guest this week. He's worked on tons of your favorite Disney movies, including directing a Goofy movie, which just celebrated its 25th anniversary, Tarzan, Enchanted. Please welcome to the show, Kevin Lima. Kevin, hey thank you so much for joining us. You're very, very welcome. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So, Kevin, how before we get into any of our questions or anything, how are you doing? How are you kind of holding up and staying sane during everything happening in the world? Actually, it's kind of business as usual for me, to be quite honest with you. Okay, I, very uh, cool. Yeah, I do a lot of work from home. Um, so I'm constantly in... I have a studio at home, so I work in my studio. And... Um, you know, writers are writing and people are developing work. So that's all, that's all good for me. That's awesome. Uh, have you, have you found a big difference, I guess, with communicating with people mostly like through web chats and everything like that now, or? It's actually made it a bit easier to be quite honest with you. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It puts us all in the same place. And we had been, um, I had been using sort of uh, all this sort of conference, uh, you know, online conferencing for a while. So it's, so it's not really new. It's the rest of the world that's catching up. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So again, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We know you're busy working on a lot of stuff. As you said, it's business as usual for you. Uh, but we just really appreciate you joining us for, uh, for this time today. Let's get into it. Um, yeah. So if you, if you're able to, um, just to tell us a little bit about the time, that you're working. So obviously we, we mentioned that you're working on a goofy movie and you worked on Tarzan and enchanted. Um, yeah. Are you able to tell us a little bit about that time period, especially around a goofy movie uh, in the nineties? Sure. Um, I had been working at Disney for, Oh, I don't know how many years at that point, uh, six or seven, eight years. And I had done a lot of different things. I had, um, I was a character designer and a little mermaid and I'm beauty and the beast and did some storyboards on Aladdin and kind of decided that I wanted to direct. I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable just sitting behind my desk constantly. So um, I asked to direct. They said there was no room that they had planned out the next 15 years or something crazy like that. And so I left the studio to go and um, pursue a directing career. And about a year later, I started, I did a little bit of freelance um, on what was a Goofy movie to begin with. I'm not sure it was called a Goofy movie, though. I think it was called the Goof Troop movie. Oh, and, uh -huh. um, yeah. And I, uh, I did a little bit of freelance. I did some storyboards of Max waking up in the morning. And the, the guy who was leading up the development decided not to direct it. So they came knocking, and uh, I took on the gig. So that's how I that's how I got my first animation directing uh, gig was by uh, was by pursuing, going out and pursuing, um, you know, being a director. Oh wow! 
did you feel like did you feel like the pressure of directing like what, what was it a huge challenge taking that on directing for the first time um it was a challenge but it wasn't any different than what i had always done in some ways i was through my teenage years into my college years i was a puppeteer and oh, as wow. a and as a puppeteer i built puppets i wrote shows i was with a professional group in rhode island and um, I directed a couple of puppet shows there. So I kind of had an idea of what it was like to work with a company. I was involved in theater. I had, before a goofy movie, I had directed a community theater version of Into the Woods and A Christmas Carol. So I knew what it was like to work with, um, work with actors, to be an actor, in a sense. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't that challenging. Well, that's great. Kevin, um, I, I hate to say this, but you gave me such nightmares with that opening sequence of a Goofy movie. Were you were you afraid you were going to turn into Goofy, or that you were going to turn I into just, your dad? As you know, what it was a little bit of both. As a child, I was like, "Oh my god, why would someone animate this?" But it really, <laughs> it it really kind of helped me understand that you weren't afraid to take these kind of challenges with making darker themes, and especially when I was watching. Tarzan as a kid as well, um, like the ending with Clayton's death and just, you know, Tarzan's parents dying, all these darker themes and jokes that you kind of put in your films. Did you ever get any pushback from Disney about that? Um, no, not really. I think that, um, you know, you can't have the joy without the darkness. And sometimes, you know, the darker, the darker the situations the characters get them into. I mean, just look at The Lion King. Um, the greater the joy at the end of the movie. So I think it was sort of, uh, you know, we always felt that that was something that, uh, that we needed in order to get some uh, deeper emotional resonance um, in our storytelling. Did you ever feel uh, any competition between any other, any other of the Disney films at that time? Because, you know, like looking at the 90s, like, you know, Pixar was coming into play. You had like you're coming off of The Lion King and other beloved movies as well, too. Did you ever feel any competition between any other films? Not, not straightforward competition um, and not from the artists. You have to remember that a goofy movie was made by the Disney Toon Division, which was a you know, which was part of the, 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 the television animation division. Mm. And we were making movies, we were making movies for, I think a goofy movie cost $18 million. Oh, wow. wow. Compared to the above a hundred million dollars that, uh, that the Lion King cost at the time. So, wow. so we kind of flew under the radar. What, what really became a problem, what I noticed on the back end, once we were done, is that the studio wasn't necessarily willing to support our film in the same way that they would support the Lion King. So they mm. didn't give us much of a marketing um, budget or push. And, you know, I think ultimately the, uh, the box office shows that the initial box office shows that they didn't stand behind the movie. That was the only time I really felt like, okay, there's something going on here at the studio that I don't quite understand. Feature animation doesn't want this, this little upstart movie to, to get any, um, you know, get any traction. So behind the scenes, I think, and I'm only guessing really, to be quite honest with you, that, that there were a lot of things that happened. Got you. Now, going from the Goofy movie to Tarzan, what were some of the biggest differences between uh, the creation of those, those two movies? Well, first of all, I got to sleep in my bed every night. Because <laughs> um, on a Goofy movie, we went to, um, we were all over the world, honestly, making that movie. 
started in Burbank. I moved to Paris for a year and we animated most of the movie there. There was production in Spain, in Toronto, in Australia. So we were working all over the world on that. On Tarzan, it was like a home base, right? So Disney feature animation, it all takes place in Burbank. Soup to nuts. So, um, So I didn't have that kind of a challenge. I think what was hardest probably for me making the transition was that on a goofy movie, I was a single director. So I, I had some command in a way. Um, and not that it was hard because I, I made Tarzan with one of my best friends in the whole, whole world, Chris Buck. But that community at Disney Feature Animation, um, it pushes at directors in a different way. So everybody wants to be a director at Feature Animation. And so everybody wanted the movie to be the way that they wanted it. So you're constantly pushing up against, you know, 150 visions of what the movie should be. And holding on to your vision in that kind of an environment can be difficult, can be really hard. That was actually going to be my uh, segue to my next question, which was, how was it like uh, working with another director on Tarzan with Chris Buck? Like, what are some of the, I always wanted to know, like, when you have two directors making a movie, like what are your biggest challenges? Um, Where do you go from there? Well, it wasn't that hard with Chris because he and I were, were, like I said, very close friends to begin with. And I knew that Chris and I shared a, a a like sensibility. So I didn't think it was going to be a problem creatively. And it wasn't. Um, one of the reasons I think that there are two directors at Disney Feature Animation, at least this is what they told me, was that it is impossible for a single director to get through a day with the number of people who are pulling at you and need your support. So in fact, you divide up a lot of the, the, um, the duties. You don't, you don't divide up the vision. You try to share the vision. And we were, I think we were pretty good at doing that. Um, so we together spent all of our time in every story meeting. So with the story department, we were both there. And then we would split up day-to-day duties. So I went into um, the layout of the film. Chris went into animation and cleanup. And then we both shared all the back-end duties. So it wasn't that I didn't get to be involved in any of that or Chris wasn't involved in what I did because we were constantly looking at each other's stuff and asking each other advice. But the day to day, you know, sitting down with those specific artists was, uh, you know, was put on each of us separately. Right. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. Definitely. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, one more question. And I always, always ask, I want to, I've always wanted to know how did you get Phil Collins to do the theme song? <laughs> Like, you know what? That, we asked him that story. You just it was him as said, simple yeah. as asking him. Wow. Really? That, eh? uh, yeah. We, um, we went through a couple of different iterations, figuring out what we wanted to do with the music. Um, I couldn't imagine having a break into song musical, to be quite honest with you. Right. Um, it was hard for me to imagine a half naked or a almost fully naked man on a tree branch <laughs> breaking into an I want song. 
It just didn't make sense to me. And I know I've got some criticism online for this, to be quite honest with you. There's one guy who just dug into Tarzan because it wasn't a break in the song musical. Um, <laughs> but I just couldn't imagine that, that marriage, to be quite honest with you. And we tried right. it. We tried it with the humans at the very beginning. We said, well, maybe the humans could sing. And it just felt awkward. Um, so we decided to take another route, and that was to allow the songs to become the internal voice of the character. Mm -hmm. So we started looking for pop artists, and we, we, talked about, we talked about a bunch of different people. And because Phil was a drummer, first and foremost, and we wanted drums to be the heartbeat of our movie, we approached him. So Chris and I went to Geneva. He was in, in Geneva at the time. We sat down with him. We talked to him about, about the movie. He was a little, I think, trepidatious at first. Um, but I tell you, once he grabbed a hold of it, he was, you know, he was on fire on this movie. We would, we'd bring up an idea for a song. And honestly, the next time, you know, the next day he'd send us this set of lyrics that he'd written out on a napkin. Wow. Um, wow. really that's how he wrote, you'll be in my heart. He just wow. he started tapping it out for us on a, um, on the rail at the studio. And he just started singing it for us acapella and we were like okay this guy this guy has it he understands yeah. uh, he understands this movie in, in a deep way so did you guys uh did you guys find yourself writing around his music or was it kind of like a a nice collaboration where it just kind of felt natural what he was writing and it fit what you guys were writing no at every single turn we asked for a song we said <laughs> we believe there should be a song here we think this song should be about this we'd write a scene that that gave you the arc of a song and we give that to him. Um, at the very beginning, he sent us a, a tape of like five different musical themes. Didn't have any lyrics at all. So um, we'd say, we want a song here where Tarzan grows up and he becomes a man. And then he writes, son of man. Um, it was like that at every single solitary turn. We'd ask for something, he'd go away and grab a hold of it and uh, you know pull it together. That's amazing. That's awesome. wicked. Now, um, a, a year after Tarzan came out, I mean, the world got introduced to an extremely goofy movie. Would you have any involvement with that, Kevin? Or was that just purely like a whole other team and you kind of gave them your blessings and kind of went your way? I had zero involvement. Um, and in fact, I wish I had had more involvement because there are a, a couple of things that I think they really missed out on. One of them being Roxanne. I agree. Oh, my 100%. God. 100%. <laughs> it feels like a and tale of two that. different films. It is. It is. It's two different groups of people. Um, you know, all the specifics are, are pretty much changed. He has a couple, you know, he still hangs out with Bobby and PJ. Yeah. Movie has a totally different job. Um, yes. So, and it brings up a lot of questions about, well, what happened to this character? And how about that character? It's still very funny. I think it's a funny mm -hmm. movie. Mm -hmm. Um but but it doesn't feel like a continuation of, of the film. It doesn't feel like it embraces everything that was wonderful about the first movie. Exactly. Right. And the way you wrote Max's character and the, the character arc of that seems to totally have been erased by the time we get to a Goofy movie. So that's why I was like, huh, this is kind of confusing. But, I mean, I just want to give my love again to the Goofy movie, a Goofy movie because it's phenomenal writing and phenomenal direction. Oh, thank you very much. We worked hard. <laughs> just uh go jumping off shay's point there about like the glove that goofy movie's getting you know like we have disney plus now that's opening the doors to so many people and to so many new viewers 
of a goofy movie, which is getting so much love. And I think what when we were you and I, Kevin, when we were initially uh, talking to one another, we, I was I mentioned that Twitter thread that you're doing about the live watch, and I just right. want to know what's it mean? To, what's it meant to you seeing the love that this movie is getting now, 25 years after its release? It's uh, it's kind of shocking to me, to be quite honest with you, because. <laughs> I originally, when I took on the movie, I took it on as, okay, this is my chance to direct, right? I get to be, I'm giving an opportunity with this movie. Um, not going to change the world, may not even be loved, but it's given me, it's given me a break. It has turned into, for, for, first of all, when we made it, I absolutely committed myself, you know, a hundred, two hundred percent to making this movie as good as it could be. And, you know, I brought a lot of, emotion to it. I brought a lot of what I thought was missing in animation, which was telling a contemporary story, something that set, felt like it was set today, or I guess in 1995. Um, and I really worked hard to make sort of a contemporary John Hughes movie in a way, right? Of course. Why can't, why can't animation do that too? So all these years later, it comes out, it's not a big success theatrically. It kind of gets, it kind of disappears. And then about say maybe, maybe six, seven years ago, I noticed that there was all this love starting to happen. It was happening online. I was doing auditions for another movie, which had a young guy in it. And when they found out I directed Goofy movie, they would start quoting the movie back to me. Like, like <laughs> big actors, like big actors in coming into the room. And they were like, doing, you, know, you know, quoting Bobby and stuff. And I was scratching my head saying like, what's going on here? And, and then slowly over time, I realized that this movie had connected with a whole generation of, of kids, mostly guys, I have to say, but there's a lot of love from, from the female population as well. And um, we, did, we did this thing at D23, I think maybe three years ago, three or four years ago. And they put it in a small hall. It was a little like retrospective of, of a goofy movie. Kevin Campbell showed up and sang eye to eye at the end of it. I think you can watch it <laughs> oh online. Goodness. You can watch it online. Um, and they put it in a, like a 400 seat theater and they turned away as many people. They turned wow. away about 600 people who wanted to be at this thing. And that's the point really where Disney realized, okay, we've got something here. And that's when you started to see some merchandise show up. Um, I was so thrilled to see a to see a, a Funko Pop figure of of, of Powerline. Yes. Like, oh, I was over the moon to see that. Um, and I realized that it's part of a culture, a, you know, a sort of a sort of a cult culture that's grown into this big explosion that we're seeing today. Um, and honestly, it's it's my most popular movie as far as people being outspoken about how much they love it. That's amazing. Um, and it's amazing for me. It's amazing for me to see that something, because I put a lot into this movie. You know, I had, my father took off when I was 12 years old and I didn't see him for 25 years. I didn't see him until Tarzan came out actually. Wow. So on some level, I think I was working out all of my issues with my dad, my non-existent dad, when I was making a goofy movie. So mm. to see that something, that I put something real of myself into the film and that it had ramifications or had, had, you know, had touched so many others was, was, is, is, is incredibly rewarding. 
You know, you can't ask for, for much more than that, than for something to speak to other people, something that's so personal to you, you know, and who would think that a goofy movie would be so personal to me, but it, but right. it, but it has really deep roots in who I am. Um, so, so it's overwhelming. It's overwhelmingly beautiful, really, to, to, to see it all happening at this point. That's amazing. Well, Kevin, I, I can say as a fan of the film that whenever I see any a goofy movie merchandise, whether it's typically it's only been at Disney parks, uh, it's very heartwarming because to me, it's always felt like this, yes, this smaller film that I have like a small community with, but you know, the people that watch it, they love it. Um, so I, I have like power line pins and shirts and, you know, it, it's one of the great, it's, it's my greatest treasures that I have. Um, and we know people right with power line tattoos as well too. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've had, you know, since I, since I did the little Twitter thing for the 25th anniversary, I was tweeting, I was live tweeting, not tweeting live. I was live tweeting. <laughs> um, and people have been sending me stuff like, Hey, look at my, look at my Max from standout tattoo. And I was like, you guys are putting that stuff on your body. <laughs> wow. Wow. It must have really meant something to you to grab a hold did of you- it that way. Do you have a favorite line from the movie? Because there's something about the delivery of Stacy, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me, baby, that I just love. But do you have a favorite line <laughs> yourself? Oh, man. Um, boy. I don't know. Uh, boy, I, I have to say that I love all my children equally. Um, <laughs> Good answer. You know, the, thing, the, the, the lines that come to mind immediately are like, like, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me, baby. Or look, Max, it's the Leaning Tower of Cheesa. Yes. Or, you know, another one is beat it, doofus. Um, <laughs> another one that comes to mind. Or, or how many cups of sugar does it take to get to the moon? To the moon. Those are kind of the lines that just sort of grab me. Did uh, you guys know that I'm a voice in a goofy movie? Who did you no. voice? I am Lester. I'm the walk around Lester. I'm like, who's your favorite possum? Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> What? I'm wow, a guy this... who's like, howdy, folks, and welcome to Lester's Possum Bar. I'm that guy. That's oh, amazing. Wow. That's, That's absolutely amazing. amazing. We have two celebrities in this chat right now, then. <laughs> now, Kevin, you transition from directing animated films to going to a live action film with Enchanted uh, with Amy Adams. Um, how was that transition going from an animated environment to a live action environment? Well, I'd actually made that transition seven years earlier with, um, I had, dire- I directed 102 Dalmatians with Glenn Close. Yes. And oh, yes. Glenn yes, was yes. a, yeah, Glenn was a voice in Tarzan. She played Kala. Yeah. And, we, we were just, we were just discussing that too. Yeah. And when, um, and when I was recording her, she said to me, you know, you direct more like a live action director than like an animation director. You don't like, you're not just asking me to do five takes in a row different. You're actually working with me to make adjustments and find shades um, of delivery. Have you ever thought about doing a live action movie? And I said, immediately, just said, yes, I'd love to do that. I really would. Well, you know, a couple of years later, Glenn Close, they lose their director on 102 donations, and she actually is responsible for this. She said, what about Kevin? Wow, wow. And I had also told the studio after Tarzan that I was going to go out and look for some live action, um, you know, um, you know, opportunities. So it all kind of worked out and I slid right into that film. I'll tell you, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Right. Because, because 
There are so much, so many things that are different, as I'm sure it is difficult for a live action director to slide into animation. I can't imagine that that's an easy transition either. Um, everything about the storytelling is exactly the same, but how you actually record the work, how you get to that final piece of film is, is very different. In animation, it's spread out over, over years sometimes to get a shot finished. In live action, everything moves to one moment in time where you record it with a camera. So, you know, you're, you're prepping, you're prepping, you're prepping. And in that hour, you're expected to get your final piece of footage. And um, that's, that's hair raising. That's, you know, anxiety, anxiety ridden. So that was the big difference. And I had to learn how to work with a camera because in animation, we really didn't talk about things like, a 35 millimeter lens. Um, we talked about everything else. We talked about lighting. We talked about lighting direction. We talked about intensity. We talked about color. We talked about how to support character arcs um, with the art direction and costume. All that stuff is exactly the same. But getting to that moment and making sure in that 20 minutes that you've got exactly what you wanted is, is can be difficult. For sure. And on top of it, and on top of it, I was working with 102 dogs. In a parrot. <laughs> so, so you add that to it. I'm just not working with a group of actors. I'm trying to get performances from animals, which is hard. All I need to do is add a couple of babies, and I would have just, the top of my head <laughs> you, would have blown off. You would have hit the trifecta perfectly, you know, of your first live action film. And obviously, you also directed the Eloise movies, which are beloved movies of mine, and my family watches Eloise at Christmas every year. Oh, yeah. So, great. Uh, just so much love for that movie. I, and, you know, that was, that was sort of the, the rebound from 102 Dalmatians, to be quite honest with you. It was like, really? now I know a couple of things. Now I know enough. And let's go in to make these movies. Um, and working with Julie Andrews was a dream. Absolutely adore that woman. And, um, you know, I, I, I think we did okay. I actually, I actually won the DGA award for Eloise at Christmas time for best children's oh, wow. programming, which was cool. Um, yeah, of course. So I, so I really felt like I had learned something, which then led to Enchanted. Now, I know there's been like, there's a lot of love for Enchanted. Has there been any talks with you about ever revisiting that world or revisiting those characters? I, they, they are revisiting it. Right. They've been working on a, on a sequel now for 13 years. They've been working on a sequel. Wow. <laughs> um, and I, unfortunately, am not going to be involved in it. Got you. Yeah. So, so that's, that's very sad for me. I wish, I wish, it, I wish I was a part of it. Of course. But circumstances being what they are, I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, not involved. But you left them so, a hell of a, a shoes to fill though. I will say that for sure. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. But you know, I have to just, I just keep looking forward. I just keep looking for what's next. What's, what's the next thing? How can I tell a new story? What's the next new story to tell? Right. And, uh, you know, I spent a long time. I spent the last, I want to say, probably 13 years working on movies. None of them have gone into production yet, which has been a kind of a drag. But we're just on the cusp of something with Netflix that we're really excited about. So that's all good. Um, but I developed a lot of movies and was involved in a lot of movies over the past uh, 13 years. It's a shame that none of them have, have made it. On Twitter, actually, I'm starting to release a couple of uh, images. Of um, from a movie that got, I was doing at DreamWorks that ended up not going into production when they sold the company. Was it the the Mumbai one, right? Yeah, Monkeys of Mumbai. 
Yeah. That would have been, I'll tell you, that would have been a, the, the art is amazing and it would have been an amazing movie, but you know, the circumstances of that moment in time when, uh, when the studio was being sold to universal sort of Mm. led to, I think about seven projects being closed down. Oh, Oh, wow. Yeah. Including a project that was almost completely done, ready to be released. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yep. Oh, that's, that's yeah. heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. Now, Ke- very, very- oh my God. Now Kevin, with you, yeah. with all of us really staying at home right now, uh, what have you been watching? Like there's probably so many things in your catalog that you're probably going through right now. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm watching some, some, um, watch a bunch of stuff, something every night. I'll tell you what I've been turning to is that, uh, I've been watching a lot of, um, comedy specials, strangely oh, wow. enough. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, I, I maybe I just need a little lift at the end of the day. Yeah, but I watched um, uh, what's his name, John Mulhoney. Watched his bunch of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Is that the right run? Mulhoney? Oh, John Mulaney. 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 Yeah, Mulaney. John Mulaney. Yeah, he's great. For some reason, I say his his name wrong every single time. <laughs> Mulaney. Mulaney. I watched his stuff. Really like that. Watched some Ricky Gervais. Watched um, oh, what's his name? Bo Bo uh, Bo Burnham. Oh, Burnham, yeah. Burnham. Very funny yeah, guy. Watch his stuff. I think he's hilarious. I love him. Um, got a chance to work with him a little bit at uh, on Monkeys in Mumbai, as a matter of fact. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, so I've been watching that. I feel like most of the stuff that's on is pretty serious. So after I get through <laughs> unorthodox, I have to watch something that lifts my spirits a little bit. Of course. Now, Kevin... We can't thank you enough for joining us on the episode today. Before we wrapped up, I just wanted to ask you, uh, if people wanted to follow your work, uh, would Twitter be the best place to do it? We'd love if you could just kind of plug your social media wherever people could follow you and maybe give us a little tease or if there's anything you can announce that you are working on that has been announced, we'd love to hear it as well. Okay. Well, let's see. Well, Twitter's really my first foray into social media, to be quite honest with you. And a goofy movie was responsible for that. And I'm at uh, Kevin Lima at Goofy Movie Dir, D-I-R. Gotcha. Um, so that's where I've been tweeting a bunch of stuff. And I've been having a great time doing that. And people seem really appreciative. So that's been fun. Um, yeah. As far as future projects, I've got like two things that are, that are in development right now. Can't, can't really tell you much about them. But one is that's at okay. And one is at uh, um, the Disney Channel. We've got about five other things that we're going out with to, to get, to get jump started pitching to the studios. So that's all good. Um, I have a company actually with my wife called, uh, Twas entertainment. And my wife, if you guys don't know, is Brenda Chapman, the director mm-hmm. of the Prince of Egypt and brave. Yes. So for the first time ever, we decided to, uh, actually go into business and try to make, uh, try to collaborate something we've, we've never done. How's that been so far, that journey, working together? Yeah, so far, it's pretty good. I think, uh, I think we've both matured enough to know that uh, how to handle each other. And, you know, having two directors sometimes can be, can be difficult because we each want our own way. Right. But, um, but it makes it, um, you know, it makes it good. And one of the other things that we did is this all started because Brendan and I wrote a script together. So um, we wrote something that we think uh, people would let us uh, produce. And it's about uh, uh, do you know the the, um, the the Greek myth the the golden touch like Midas like Midas the Midas touch yeah. golden touch yes 
so we uh so we took that that uh that idea and wrote a script about someone who gets cursed with a cartoon touch and oh. you can figure out what that's about i dig it so, i really dig it yeah it could be very very cool yeah. So Kevin, again, thank you so much. We're going to put all of uh, you. We're going to put your Twitter in our show notes as well too, so our listeners could, will be able to find you and follow you there. And okay. we're so appreciative of you joining us on the show today and taking out a, a chunk of your day to talk with us. Um, thank you so much again for joining us. You are you are so welcome. Thank you for reaching out. It's fun. No worries. All right, Kevin. You we want you to have a great day. Okay. Take care, right. Kevin. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Bye bye. Thank you so much, Kevin, again for joining us on the show this week, guys. That was that was pretty cool. That was wicked. He's such a nice guy. He's such a nice guy, and again, open invite anytime you want to return, Kevin. So thank you so much, and we can't wait to see what you work on next. Uh, before we wrap up the show, we do have our trivia question for this week. So Anthony and Shay, are you ready for your trivia question? I was born ready. See, Just- you already took my line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I already oh, took yeah. my line. Wait, what uh, I was that? not born ready. <laughs> so just a reminder, as our scorecard right now, Anthony's at one, Shay's at one, and I am at zero. I can't play this week because obviously I'm asking the question. So, gentlemen, hands up. I don't see you on camera this week, so I'm going to trust you, okay? Okay. What was the first? Are you ready? Yeah. What was the first major Hollywood film to be released in theaters purely in a digital format. So this means this movie was not sent to theaters on film at all, purely digital only. And I'm going to give you five choices. Okay. Was it the great Gatsby star Trek into darkness, gravity, the Wolf of wall street or the Hobbit, the desolation of smog. So these are all 2013 movies as well. So again, was it the great Gatsby star Trek into darkness, gravity, the Wolf of Wall Street or The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog? I'm going to go with The say, Hobbit. I'm going to go with Star Trek. All right. Answers locked in, boys. Yep. You yes. are both incorrect. Ah. The answer is The Wolf of Wall Street. Wall Street. Mm. Crazy, right? So this was actually mm. one of Scorsese's, uh, this was the second film he shot totally in digital. Um, but this is the first movie, first major Hollywood film that actually got sent to theaters only pretty much on a hard drive. There was no film reels of this movie made. That's crazy. Damn. Yeah. So no I one gets pointed this because week. It was recorded at like 60 frames and me too. But it, and, I but it was know, actually Wolf of Wall Street. I, I wanted to say Wolf of Wall Street because it was the more odd choice, but uh, I was like, you know what? Star Trek sounds digital, so let's do that. Yeah, I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to th- I wanted to throw ones in there that sounded like they were all very digital, like Gatsby and Star Trek and Gravity, you know? So I'm like Wolf of Wall Street was was kind of the one out there for sure. Yeah. So, of course, this is the movie podcast. You can catch a brand new episode every single week. We also do some commentary. So if you haven't checked out, we've done a Sicario commentary. We've done a Game Night commentary. And I'm so excited to announce our next commentary, which will be coming next week, will be Sam Raimi's (laughs) Spider-Man. Oh, God. (laughs) 
<laughs> the no, day one. I'm not a spit coming out right now. <laughs> the day ones from the this time with YouTube channel. We'll remember those sounds that oh, Shay's yeah. made. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that will be coming out next week. Uh, stay tuned for details for that on our socials on what exactly you could look out for that episode, for that commentary. Sorry. Um, thank you so much to Kevin for being our guest this week on the show. Please, if you want to write into the show, write into this time with.com slash talk. Let us know your comments, suggestions, and corrections, and anything you want to talk to us about. We hope you are all staying safe at home, of course. And that was this time with the movie podcast. And we'll see you next.